You're listening to Copeland Morgan Media, your source for investment property analysis, education, and advice. Find us online at copelandmorgan.com. I know a lot of people teach and a lot of investors um, strive to to qualify as as what the IRS calls a a real estate professional, a full-time real estate investor. And there are some substantial tax benefits that that go along with that. Uh, For folks that may not be familiar with that designation or whatever it's referred to and, and what it means to you from a tax standpoint, can you give a quick like real estate professional status 101? Sure. Yeah, so I, I I wanted to focus on the use of real estate losses on this presentation. So I, I think real estate, a professional kind of ties in perfectly to that. So as you guys, of course, are aware, uh, real estate is an asset that has what's called depreciation expense atti- uh, attached to it um, if the property is in service. So generally what winds up happening for the average a performing rental property, so you're one that's generating standard returns, even though it's generating positive cash flow, come tax time, you generally are showing break even or a loss. Now, what you can do with these loss really depends on a couple different situations. So if you make less than $100,000 a year, you are able to use these losses um, against other active income up to $25,000. So for example, let's say you have a W-2 job that pays $70,000. You have a loss of $15,000 from three rental properties, let's say 5,000 each. You are able to actually offset that 70K with the 15K of losses for a total income of 55,000. So really simple math, obviously there's, there's some other assumptions in there, but that in itself is the most powerful tax benefit of real estate. Now, now, what you're probably saying, of course, is there's obviously other situations that are around. And if you make between 100 to 150, it's phased out. So for every every um, every dollar, every two dollars of income, a dollar of loss gets phased out of that of that 25,000. So that's so that income level is kind of in this like weird middle ground that like you're able to use some, but you're not able to use all. Now, Heather, can I just? Jump sure. in for one second. And I just want to point out that having $5,000 of losses on a rental property, that, that doesn't mean you're cash flow negative. Right. You could be making money every month, but from a tax perspective, after depreciation and, and things like that, you're actually, well, you're taking a loss in the eyes of the IRS, but it doesn't mean you have to, you don't want to look for poorly performing properties that you're throwing money into every month. You can be cash flow positive on a monthly basis but still take a loss in the eyes of the IRS. And that's really kind of the sweet spot. Correct, absolutely. So now I'll get into my uh, third out of fourth scenario. The third scenario is that you make over $150,000 a year a married filing jointly or, or saying actually the, the uh, limit doesn't change. So a fairly normal situation, for example, that you have a, a working family with two income, something like that, all rental activity is typically treated as what's called a passive loss. So if there is depreciation, uh, sorry for my dog barking, I have a package at my front door. Um, So if there is depreciation and and it it, it is creating a loss and you make over that threshold, the loss 
is actually suspended and carried forward until you either have passive income to offset it. So if your rentals are, are producing income at some point later down the line, or if you sell the property and dispose of it, then you're able to use those losses. Um, so this becomes really tricky because if you're a high income earner or you have a, a two income household, et cetera, um, you can keep generating losses and not actually be able to use them against your other income. So it can keep carrying forward indefinitely until you have passive income to actually offset it. There is one exception to the rule that Jeff alluded to earlier that, that makes this tax strategy really powerful. And it's called the real estate professional uh, a status. And essentially what that means is that you are, are electing to treat your properties as a trade of business, as a trade or business, and it's no longer passive. So it, it's an active, active business for you. And essentially what you have to do to qualify is spend more than 750 hours on, on your real trade or business. So you are able to aggregate all rentals together. So to spend 750 on, on real estate, you can unfortunately have one or two rentals, uh, even self-managed. It's something that is, uh, it's really hard to actually achieve. And this is an area that's heavily scrutinized by the IRS. And it's not something that I'd recommend messing around with by any means. But if you have a portfolio that's, that's a little bit larger and you are very actively involved in, in the management of the properties, it is possible to hit that 750. The other requirement is that it's more than half of your time. So what more than half of your time means is that if you have a W-2 job and you're working 2,000 hours, you unfortunately have to work 2,001 on your real estate to be able to qualify. So the absolute bare minimum that you can have a, have a job, have a, a different job and still qualify is 750 and then 751. So really interesting stuff there, but kind of the takeaway from that is that if you have a W-2 job, um, it's virtually impossible to qualify. So I, I am uh, a partner at, at my CPA firm. Uh, even though I, I have 100 units, I don't even qualify because it's not more than half of my time. But anyway, if you qualify, you are able to take your losses against all other active income without regard to any of that income limitations that I was talking about earlier. So for example, if your spouse works, they have a W-2 income of $100,000 a year, your properties generate a $20,000 loss um, and you have, a, I don't know, a, a property management business, um, you're flipping a bunch of houses or anything, anything like that, you're actually able to offset all of that income with your rental losses. So it, it's a really it's a really powerful tool to be able to take advantage of these losses. And Taylor, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think where most high wage earners with W-2 jobs might be able to take advantage of this is if they have a spouse that maybe doesn't work, but they become sort of the, the ringleader of the real estate. Maybe they get their real estate license, they do a few transactions, they manage their rentals. And so you've got one spouse who's a physician earning 300K, you've got the other spouse who stays at home, manages the real estate and meets that 750 hour criteria, which if you pencil it out weekly, it's not 
Right. It's nowhere close to a full-time job. Right. Um, and then you're able to offset your, your active W-2 earnings with your passive real estate losses. Yeah. So the, the easily the most, there's two, two really popular scenarios. The first one is that one spouse works and one spouse stays at home. So like Jeff just mentioned, you'd have a high earnings, high earning uh, person, number one, let's say they make $300,000 a year. So they're, they're easily all over that 150, but you have someone that's able to spend 750 on rental properties. If, if you can generate loss easily offset against that income. So it's, it's super powerful for, for high earners. A second scenario that's for a bit more experienced investors is that they're generating active income from managing real estate. So you have property managers, you have people that are doing multifamily syndications that, that they're raising money for buying a big property and they're collecting fees. All those kind of fees are, are ordinary income like a W-2 job might be from a tax perspective. Then you have this real estate that, that actually you own it now and you generate loss, they actually can offset each other. So those are the two most common scenarios. So um, yeah, it, it's, it's really powerful. And I, I think the ability to generate losses and then secondly, how you use those losses are probably the, the most powerful tax deduction that real estate offers, uh, 1031 exchange being a, a close second. And really where we tie this all together is, is the, the infamous needle in a haystack value add property where you're going to take this rundown class D or class C property, invest you know $80,000 into it to turn it into this top, you know, well-performing class B property. A lot of that eighty thousand dollar investment you can write off as a loss in year one if if you are a real estate professional. So it, it has huge huge tax implications for anybody who's in that that scenario with maybe a high high earning spouse and a, and a stay at home spouse or or something along those lines. So it, it really is huge from a tax perspective. Thank you for listening to the Copeland Morgan Media Real Estate Podcast. As you can imagine, producing this great educational content takes a lot of effort and commitment on our part. We only ask one thing in return. Please subscribe to our podcast using your favorite podcast app or by visiting copelandmorgan.com slash podcast. And remember, there's no greater compliment than referring us to a friend or colleague. Until next time, I'm Jeff Copeland.